0: Friends, will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we enter into your presence with great expectations. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So there's this story about a boy whose father is a mechanical engineer professor at a well-known college. He ran in the back door one day, and his mom was working in the kitchen, and he said, Mom, what time is it? She was busy. She had so much on her mind, she didn't have her watch with her, and she said, Son, I don't know. Your father's in the other room. Go ask him. The boy stopped in his tracks, and he said, Never mind, Mom. I don't want to know how to make a watch. I just want to know what time it is. I think that sometimes we can identify with that as Christians when we encounter the overloaded volumes of information about living a Christian life, about our Christian heritage. The Bible alone is filled with 66 books. Many of them are long and complex, written in an ancient language that has then now been translated into some form of English, and and it's hard to separate out all of those nuances, and what is it exactly trying to say to us? As, As complex as that is, there is commentaries along an entire theological spectrum that help us unpack some of those verses, tell us the nuances behind them, the background of how that text came to be. And then on top of that, there's books by these same theologians that help us understand what it means to live into our Christian doctrine, what it means to live into the ethics and the history of our Christian heritage. There are books about the practice of Christianity that go on and on and on, practices such as how do we do worship, how do we sing the hymns, what are the backgrounds, what are the rituals, what's the background in the ritual, how do we practice the rituals. There's books on all kinds of topics like how do we educate our children, how do we lead a congregation, how do we practice good stewardship as God's people. It can be overwhelming sometimes. It can be overwhelming to grasp this mass amounts of knowledge and learning. And so sometimes we fall short. We say, gee, it's too much for me to possibly know. I've not been to seminary. I've not, uh, I, I don't have the knowledge to understand all that. Even if I picked up one of those Commentator, commentaries, I remember as a layperson picking it up and trying to read it, and some of those words were over my head. So how do we learn to walk a faithful Christian life? We do it by intentionally participating in a process of unpacking all of these things. We teach our children to come to Sunday school and learn the basic Bible stories and then how to find the books in the Bible, how to look up scriptures, how to understand what kind of literature we're seeing. And then we continue in and we learn how to unpack that as we engage in life as teenagers and young adults. And if, and if we truly want to continue to deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ, we do it in a small, accountable group as an adult. We do it through intentionality, week in and week out, month after month and year after year. We've been starting this Worship Plus Two uh, series in which we have have laughingly said it's time to stop attending church and it is time to be the church. Not simply come and hope that through osmosis we might get something, but to truly engage in a lifestyle that Jesus is calling us to. And we're going to do that through three ways. To engage in worship every single week. Through connect or committing to serve at least once a month <coughs> and then to connect with a group every single week. When I went to seminary, my professors taught me so much, but what they taught me never took root unless I took it outside of the classroom and I unpacked it with my colleagues, when, when I shared my doubts, when I shared my lack of understanding across the table in the lunchroom, or on the pathways as we walked across campus, or sitting under a tree, that is when those lessons took root in my heart. The Shema. The Shema is at the core of the Jewish understanding of faith, both individually and in a community. And it creates the half of the cornerstone that is at the corner and the central core message of our Christian life together. Jesus adds another commandment to the Shema, and I'll talk about that in a minute. This Shema is laid out in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, verses 14 through 12. I'm going to read all of this to us this morning, and I want us to listen to what the Shema is, how we are to learn it, and then why we are to learn it. Listen now for God's holy word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's the Shema. Here's how we keep it in our heart. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorsteps of your homes and your houses and on your gates. And this is why we do this. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land that he swore to give your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you a land where fine large cities that you did not build, houses filled with all sorts of good that you did not fill, hewn cisterns that you did not hew, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you have eaten your fill, take care that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Thanks be to God for the listening and the hearing of this holy word. Amen. So in these opening lines of the Shema, it serves as this confession of faith for the Israelites for many centuries, still even today. You can see uh, practicing Jewish people still bind these on their doors and they touch uh, a little little um, uh, thing that they put on their doors where they keep the Shema to remind them. It, it becomes a way that shapes their understanding of who God is and whose they are and what this relationship between them and God is to be. It's interesting about this first line in the Shema. It is four Hebrew words. They are all nouns. It is Lord, our God, Lord, one. When a young person learns to read Hebrew they only are given these four nouns. It is up to the person reading to put in the verbs. That helps us interpret and the interpreters of this particular scripture in our English version has chosen to put the is between the first Lord and our God. The Lord is our God. That establishes a relationship between people and God. Between Israel and God. This Shema, translated listen, is plural. It does not say listen Cassie. It does not say listen Abraham. It says listen Israel. It is plural. It assumes a plural relationship. God is in relationship with a community of people. Our Christian creeds do the same thing. We say them in community. We learn them and sometimes we recite them in times when we struggle, but we say them in community. Sometimes throughout my life, I can remember when I would say the Apostles' Creed and other creeds, and I would wonder if I truly believed everything it said. But the point of a creed is not that I believe it, but that we collectively believe it. That when I am going through times and seasons of doubt in my life, it is each of you who will carry me through that season of doubt. So that even still I can pray the words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and so on. It is in this community, this community's role is to bind us together, and to recall, or to remember, when our own spiritual amnesia takes effect in our own personal lives. The third half of that scripture I read, to the role of the Shema, the role of our creeds is to help us remember. Remember our relationship with God. Remember that God calls us. Remember that God wants us to be in relationship with God. And why do we do this? It's more than about being a a witness in the world, though it is important that we are a witness in the world. We wear these words in the way we behave. But it is also important that we remember so that during our times of struggle we can be uplifted. But also so that we won't forget in times of good times when we have a tendency, if you're like me, to look around and feel like I am responsible for all that is good going on in my life. John Wesley lost his faith shortly after he went to the North America, to the, to the colonies over here. They weren't the colonies yet, but over in this area. He lost his faith and he went back to England on a ship defeated and feeling as though he had nothing left to give to God. And there was this huge storm on this ship. And while they were on this ship, he was convinced they were surely going to drown and die. And he saw and heard a group of Moravian Christians who were praying the creeds and singing the hymns and uplifting one another, and they had a sense of calm and peace that he could not put his finger on. And so after the storm was over, he talked to them and he says, how do you keep your faith? And they said to him, young man, you preach it until you believe it, and then you preach it because you believe it. That's the role of our creeds, that's the role of Shema, is that we say it until we believe it, and then we say it because we believe it. But we do it in community. Genesis tells us that uh, God looked around and said, it is not good for humans to be alone. We were created with a need to be in community and in relationship not only with God but with one another. Paul reminds us that we are one body and individual members in that body but one part of that body cannot do everything that body needs to do without all of the other members to support it. People come to me and ask, Cassie, isn't it true that I can worship God in the forest alone? Yes. Isn't it true that I can study God by reading my Bible and other helps that help me understand it alone? Yes. It's true because God is who God is and God will meet us wherever we are. But what is even more important is that we were created to be in community and to share that with one another. So here... Oh, Decatur Methodist family, the Lord is our God, and the Lord wants to be in relationship with us and wants us to be in relationship with one another. This is one of the toughest times in the life of the church. I've heard pastors that have been in the pulpit for many years say, this one, this pandemic that we're in far exceeds 9-11. When they thought that would be the hardest years of their ministry, this doesn't even take a batting eye to it. This is a hard time to be Christians. Every time we turn around, it seems that our faith is under uh, the, the looking glass. When our faith is challenged, when it is attacked. I am questioned every single day where I stand. Politically, socially. Faith-wise, spiritually, and here's what I know in that challenge, in that attack that attacks me day after day after day, is that I need you. I need you to surround me, to challenge my mind, to keep my heart strong, to encourage me to stay strong in the midst of the storm, to remind me when I get that spiritual amnesia, who I am and whose I am. And friends, I do that best when I meet with you in a small group. When I connect in a place where people truly know me, they care about me, they pray for me, and they circle around me, they let me ask uh, questions when I Question things. Say, let me ask, uh, talk about my life struggles. They help me walk that faith more deeply, more sincerely. They help me grow in my Christian walk. These These groups are essential for helping me remember who I am. The writer says, keep these words... These words that I command you, and the Hebrew says, upon your heart. Keep these words upon your heart. At Decatur Methodist Family, we have organized ourselves into three different types of groups in our catalog. You will see a group called growth groups. Growth groups is a place where it's typically short term. You gather together and you work toward your spiritual formation. These are things like our sermon-based small groups that uh, reflect upon the sermon message the week before and, and live life together and challenge one another. We have growth groups. This is the, I mean, I'm sorry, the, then we have learning groups. These are typically short-term. They're around a subject, a, a topical study like Bible studies or perhaps financial studies or, or uh, Methodism 101 or a book study. And then we have, we've called it Sunday school, and we put quotes around the Sunday because many of us remember that that always happened on Sunday morning at 9:40. Yeah, to 10:30 here in this building. And what we've recognized is that many of these classes, ongoing life-supporting life-giving classes will happen throughout the week in many different places. So we're calling it Sunday School. You can find all of this, as I mentioned earlier, on our website, on the front page for rolling down to events and then clicking on the Learn more. You will see there a link to the catalog as well as a link to a registration form so you can learn more information. Or you can call the church office and we'll help you get connected. Parker Palmer is an author, an educator of spiritual connection, of healing. He's a Christian and he has uh, uh, written many poems and Christian essays. And recently this week I was reading his uh, one of his essays and he was talking about a Hasidic tale. Now a Hasidic is a way of, of learning Jewish law. Okay? It's a midrash. And midrash is usually a story based on some teaching in the in the Torah. And so remember I said just a moment ago that the Hebrew actually says that we keep these words upon our heart? So this is the Midrash story that he shares. A pupil goes to the rabbi and he says, Why does the Torah tell us to place these words upon our hearts? Why doesn't it tell us to place these holy words in our hearts? The rabbi says to the pupil, It is because we are who we are. And our hearts are closed. And we cannot place holy words in our heart. It's one of our human limitations. So we place them on top of our hearts. So there they are until one day our heart breaks open and the words fall in. These groups, these small accountable groups are like a holding place for God's precious holding, holy words. They, they stay there until we break. And we will. Until we break and our heart breaks open. And then it is this community, this circle of accountable friends who literally pour these holy words into our heart and they take root and they begin to live and heal and empower and strengthen us in ways that we did not know was even possible. So friends, if you want a deeper, more abiding relationship with God, if you desire to love God with your whole heart, your whole mind, and your whole soul, then I encourage you to connect to a small group in this season, this ever-so-difficult season.